Welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll put resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Welcome, everybody, to my very, very first episode of High Tide, Low Tide. I am your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I cannot even begin to explain how excited I am right now to finally be here recording this episode. (laughs) I tell you, it has been in the making for some time now. It seemed like this was only ever a dream and it was never going to eventuate. And I, yeah, just am pinching myself right now that I'm sat here in my kitchen, able to record this podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking the time and coming to listen to my podcast. I appreciate all of the support I've had on my Instagram page so far and from all of my friends and the wonderful people around me. I will preface this with the fact that I am still learning as I go. So please be kind. Those of you who know me well know that I am a terrible, terrible, terrible with technology um, other than an iPhone. I'm pretty good with an iPhone, but other than that, um, no idea what I'm doing. So lucky I do have some help with that, which is fantastic. But yeah, I am, again, just so stoked to be here And I'm really excited to see where this podcast goes in the future. So please continue to show me some support as I go along. So I thought I would start this episode out by giving you a little bit more information about me and who I am and and why I wanted to make this podcast, I guess. So me, I'm Lisa. I am 34 years old, 35 later this year. Sometimes I legitimately have to think about how old I am now. But believe me, 34 is the new 24 or so. I keep telling myself that anyway, and I'm going to stick with it because 34 has been a pretty good year so far. So yeah, a bit about me. When I sat down and I was writing out my notes for this episode, I was like, oh, what, you know, what are the things that make me me? And I glanced over at my fridge and I saw a birthday card that my group of girlfriends had written out for me my birthday, I think last, yeah, it must have been last year. And actually after reading it, I was like, okay, that is a pretty good explanation of who I am as a person. So I thought I'll just read it out. So it says, happy birthday to our planet-saving, mental health warrior, muscle gainer, ocean lover, Ross lover, craft beer connoisseur, Wednesday co-model, 
Samantha of the group and all round legend. So, I mean, that's a pretty good like roundup of who I am as a person. Um, please don't read too much into the sex in the city, um, <laughs> you know, relation there. But still, you know, I born and raised by the ocean. So definitely a huge ocean lover. I'm at the beach all the time, in the salt water all the time. I also work out. You know, I, I did a fitness competition last year. Training for me is something that helps keep me healthy, not only in body, but even more importantly in mind. So that's super important to me. Love my craft beer. I also love my bubbles, just saying. And Ross. Ross is the best friend's character there is, hands down, and I will argue with you about it. (laughs) So, yeah, that is a little bit about me as a person. As I said, I was born and raised in Adelaide and I love it here. I did spend six years living in Indonesia or about six years, roughly about that. Um, So I was living and working in Gili Chuangan. So that's the largest of the three Gili Islands, which is technically part of Lombok. It's about an hour and a half boat ride from Bali. And if you've been there, you know how beautiful it is. You know, there are no cars, no motorbikes. There is beach in absolutely every single direction. You get sunrises on one side of the island and sunsets on the other. And really, it is just the most beautiful place, full of amazing people. And I worked there as a paddy scuba diving instructor. So I actually went there one year to do my open water course. And then, you know, before you know it, I'd moved myself over there to live and work. And it was an absolute dream. I loved every second of it. And I'm super, super grateful for that experience. So how did I end up back here? Well, like a lot of people, we all had to make some pivots in 2020. And for me, COVID sent me back to Adelaide. You know, the dive industry is a, is a tourism industry. And if there's no tourists, there's no money. So, you know, when I left, I decided to come back to Australia, you know, for three or four months and work and make some money. And then I'd go back to Indonesia. And <laughs> here we are almost two years later you know, a little bit naive on my behalf at the start of that, but uh, certainly not complaining now by any means. Now, at the moment, I work as a territory manager for a coffee company. So everyone loves me because I keep them nice and caffeinated. But yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell here and now. So my journey with um, mental health, um, that started probably back in about 2006. So I was a year out of high school and absolutely no idea what the hell was happening to me. There was, there was no big event that happened, no traumatic thing. I, you know, if you were to look at my life on paper, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. But just slowly and, you know, gradually over time, things just got worse. My mood just got worse. I was, you know, I just wasn't happy at all. And, you know, looking back now, 
I would probably say that the changes for me probably started in when I was still in high school. So in years 8 to 11, I was a straight A student. I was, you know, very engaged. I found learning super easy. I had a lot of great friends. And then something at some point uh, during my last year, so during year 12, something just changed in me. My grades started slipping. I actually came across my year 12, like final examination scores the other day when I was going through stuff at my dad's house. And I, like, when I look at that and I see the grades that I had, I know that I could have done better. On top of that, my confidence was down. My self-esteem was like significantly lacking. And from high school, I went straight into university because I just assumed that's what you do after high school. You go to university. So I had enrolled in a Bachelor of Social Work, which I think, you know, if I had actually completed it, which I didn't, I would have been grateful to have had that degree now, but that's okay. Life throws you curveballs and you keep on going. So yeah, I went straight to uni and I just could not cope. I couldn't cope with the change and I couldn't cope with where my moods were at. So I left uh, probably not even six months into uni and I was working full time. At this point, I was just working at the local Drake's, so the local Foodland. And I would go to work, I would come home and I would get straight into bed. And I would only get out of bed to eat. And then I would go straight back to bed again. And I stopped doing a lot of things that I loved. I had been a dancer. My, I was a dancer my entire life. Pretty much every kind of dance you can think of, I probably gave it a try. Jazz, tap, ballet, hip hop. I think I did some ballroom at some point, a bit of belly dancing, literally everything. <laughs> so, you know, I stopped doing that. Now I know that that would have been a massive red flag, but you know, in the, in the moment I had no idea. I had been an extremely social person throughout high school and all of a sudden I didn't want to see anybody. The anxiety that I would feel prior to having to see other people or be in like a social situation like a party, which, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, there's parties every single weekend. So that was a weekly occurrence that I was having these, you know, very severe anxiety attacks. And I can remember very vividly how they felt. And, you know, I would be trying to get ready to go out to these events and I would just be absolutely, you know, hysterical in tears to the fact that, you know, my mum would have to come and try and calm me down. And I mean, I cry, like I cry a lot, like all the time, like, <laughs> but it's not severe. Like I will cry watching a TV commercial or I'll cry when a song comes on or sometimes my aunt likes to just be mean and she'll tag me in a video on Instagram or Facebook because she knows that it's going to make me cry. <laughs> like I'm just, yeah, I'm a crier. Like that should have been in the list from that was in my card from my girlfriends. I am a crier. But this was next level kind of cry. This was like despair. 
And, you know, I was my own worst enemy, the way that I spoke to myself, the way that my head was at that time. I was just constantly putting myself down. And so I would be getting ready to go out and see people for these parties and I would put something on and I would look at myself in the mirror and my internal dialogue, you know, that that part of my brain was saying to me, Lisa, you're disgusting. You can't go out like that. You know what people are going to say about you. Look at you. You're disgusting. You're ugly. You're fat. Like that is... I was saying these things to myself. No one was saying them to me. That was just, you know, what was happening inside my head. And I used to call it, well, once, you know, I started figuring out what was going on anyway, I was snowballing is what I would call it. You know, an example that I've used um, at other times is that my high school boyfriend and myself, we had gone one day to play tennis Like it was meant to be like, oh, yeah, it's a nice day. We've got some rackets. Let's just go down and have a hit. And I had never played tennis before. I, you know, just wasn't a sport that I had played before. Um, And so we went down and he was very sporty. So, of course, I mean, he knew what he was doing. But I wasn't very good (laughs) at tennis. You know, I couldn't hit it back. I couldn't hit it over the net. I, you know, didn't reach it. And, you know, I just, I wasn't good. I was crap. (laughs) So, you know, in most people in their mind, what they'll do is, you know, well, not most people, a lot of people, they'll go, oh, that's okay. You know, you've never done this before. You've never tried tennis before. Just keep going. You know, you'll get there. Or, you know, it's just supposed to be for fun. So it doesn't really matter if you mess up a little bit. It's going to be all right. I wasn't able to regulate my thoughts like that. So what I was doing every time I didn't hit the tennis ball over the net or every time I messed it up is I was saying to myself, you're shit. Lisa, you're so bad at this. You're not good at tennis. And then it would continue on. So it it would go on from you're not good at tennis to you're not good at sports to you're not good at anything to you are actually useless. Why would anybody want to play with you? Why would anyone want to be near you? Why would anyone want to be your friend? You're useless. Your useless was probably my favourite term. I think it's probably one of the ones that I used to say to myself the most. You know, I do look back at those times and honestly, I, I, I feel really bad for my high school boyfriend and I always think back to how well he he really handled me because I'd end up in tears. Tennis ended up in tears that day. Like, which, you know, when I think back, like now, like I think, oh my goodness, that's that's so silly, but... I couldn't help it. I was battling with my own brain and battling with my own mind at that time. And I was really grateful that for an 18, 19 year old boy who would have never heard about, you know, mental health probably himself before, how well he managed to handle it and how well he stood by me at that time. And I always do think back at that. And I'm, yeah, really grateful for that. 
I'm also really grateful for my mum. So obviously, you know, as time went on, she started to notice, you know, the change in me, the fact that her happy, smiling, social daughter had gone and now she was lazy and (laughs) not lazy, that's not the right term, but, you know, I was lethargic and I was, you know, seclusive and she, so she started to notice those changes in me and she actually approached me and she suggested that we go to see my doctor to have a bit of a talk about it because, you know, she thought that maybe I might have depression. I'm so thankful that she took that step and that she noticed those things because I don't even know if I'd heard of the, you know, the word depression or, you know, anxiety at that time or, you know, I guess I probably thought that when people talk about mental health that they're talking about you know, someone who's crazy, you know, someone in a straight jacket or, you know, something, you know, from a movie. You know, I didn't realise that it was such a normal thing that so many people are dealing with. So she took me to see the GP and from there the, the GP decided that, that they did suggest that I um, went to see a psychologist the psychologist, um, well, luckily we could have the mental health plan. So I think actually, actually, I think I even got it like through my mum's work, like your your family or whatever could get X amount of visits with the psychologist for free or something like that. So I went to see the psychologist and like it just absolutely changed my life around. We started working together on um, like, cognitive behavioural therapy. So we looked at how I was speaking to myself and the way that I was thinking. You know, why why was I telling myself that I was useless and where did that stem from? And we put into place different tactics so that when I started to recognise that I was doing that and I was starting to recognise that I was snowballing, there would be something that I would do to help sort of click me out of it or to just say to myself, hey, Lisa, you're starting to snowball. And then that would actually help me to stop snowballing. So with time and with regular visits to see her, this started to get better. I think I was probably going to see her about once a month or so at this time, it was a while ago, so it's quite difficult for me to to remember now. But I just remember, you know, at this time, stigma was bad for mental health. No one I know spoke about mental health. Like I didn't know anyone who'd had depression. I didn't know anyone who had anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, OCD, anything. I didn't know a single person. So I felt super alone. And I was scared to talk to other people about it because I was worried about what they were going to think about me or, you know, like I said, that they would think maybe I was, you know, crazy or, you know, whatever it is until there was one person and this person became super instrumental in my own recovery and also in the path that I'm now on. 
And this um, person is now a very good friend of mine. But at the start, and when this happened, he was a bartender at the Ramsgate where I later ended up working. (laughs) And I hope he doesn't mind. I'm going to say that it was Brownie, my very, very, very good friend, Brownie. And he started to share parts of his own story with me. And it would be a Friday night at the Ramsgate, the end of the night, and we would be chatting and he started to tell me bits about his journey and I can't even explain how much of an impact that had on me, feeling like I wasn't alone, feeling heard and feeling understood because I hadn't, you know, I'd seen a psychologist and and I'd read some pamphlets and stuff like that, but I'd not ever had a conversation with somebody else who'd been through the same thing as me. And after I, I realised how much of an impact that it had on me and I had gone through part of that recovery process for myself, I knew, I knew after that that I wanted to be able to do the same thing and that I wanted to be able to help other people. I don't remember how I found out about it. Maybe someone sent a link to me or something, but I ended up being a part of the Beyond Blue Youth Ambassador Program. And this was such an amazing experience for me. So they flew me to Melbourne. Uh, I think there was about eight or so of us in that group. And it was just you know, a couple of days of training and bonding with people who'd gone through their own journeys. None, no two were the same. And we were being trained up so that we could go out and um, speak as ambassadors for Beyond Blue um, about our own journeys. And after that, I spoke at schools. I spoke at conferences. I spoke to the media. You know, I was always nervous beforehand, just, you know, the build-up of of going to speak at something like that. But I would always, always walk out on a high um, knowing that I'd, you know, been able to help. And then I'd probably cry in the car on the way home just to release all of that pent-up energy, which is so me, if you know me. I can't help it. But I can remember so clearly I was speaking at one school and I can't remember which town it was it might have been like Port Pirie or something like that I can't remember I had been invited to go out and speak at this primary school and I think it's about a a two and a half hour or three hour drive or something like that from where I was living so I had to get up super early on that day to to drive out there which is fine. I can I can also remember the beautiful sunrise that I got to see whilst I was doing it. And I can remember I was in the I was doing multiple speech speeches that day and the very first one that I did I was, you know, midway through talking about my experience with my depression and I looked out at the faces and I looked straight into the face of one young girl and these are primary primary school children. And she, she looked straight into my eyes and I could just see the tears that were rolling down her face. And she got up and she walked out. And I was gutted. I was, you know, so upset that this person was upset by what I was 
you know, saying and, you know, I didn't want to upset anyone, obviously, and you know, obviously I couldn't stop. So, you know, I kept going with my talk and finished it up and then afterwards one of the teachers approached me and she was with the student that had, had walked out and the student came up to me and she asked if she could give me a hug. And, of course, I said yes. And afterwards I was speaking to the, the teacher and, and she had said to me that this was one of the students that they had um, concerns about of her own mental health and that it was really important that she had been in that um, talk today. And, you know, I obviously, you know, that made a huge impact on me to be able to see firsthand how the simple act of sharing your story and having someone resonate with it can have an impact and you just never know who that person can be. So that was massive. And, you know, over the years I did more training with Beyond Blue. I also did some work with Reach Out where I went to Sydney um, so I've been very lucky to be able to work with these organisations over time and, you know, I, I feel very grateful that I've been able to share my story. So my story, you know, it has had many ups and downs or high tides and low tides, if you will. <laughs> See what I did there? It comes in waves. So, you know, obviously things got better for some time. But over the years, I've had loads of lows. Like this is just a this is just normal to me. <laughs> Up and down, high tides, low tides. That's just life. Now, in two thousand eleven, I had progressed to self harm. At this point, so I don't really want to go too much into detail about that right now because I feel like that's something I will delve into later because I think it's something that we really do need to talk about. But it is an important part of my story and, you know, there's I can picture specific photographs where I know where I was at because I can tell by what's wrapped on my arm. And, yeah, I just wanted to mention the fact that, you know, self-harm is also super common there's many different types and many different levels and that's something we will definitely come back to. Over the years, I've learned how to ride out these high tides and low tides better and with practice, I can, I've, I can spot when I'm starting to slip. Not always, but I've got pretty good at it and usually, usually I can feel when it's coming on. You know, if you imagine like, a low tide. A low tide is when the ocean is, is going out, yeah? So it's pulling. The tide is going out and it's trying to pull you with it. I, I, I can feel that now. I can feel when it's starting to happen and I know that I need to do something. And sometimes I'm, I'm better at that than other times, of course. So, you know, I, I do the things that I know I need to do. I make sure my food is on point. I make sure I'm exercising. I go in the ocean. I go to the ocean. I put my feet in the sand. I feel it. I make sure that I'm getting my vitamin D. 
I make sure that my psych appointments are booked and that I'm going to them. I journal. You know, I take time for myself or maybe I spend time with others. You know, it's different all the time and you do have to listen to what you need in that moment. And like I said, each time can be different and that does make it tricky to navigate. And everybody is different and everybody has different needs. You know, maybe for some people it's yoga or it's meditation or it's making sure that you're taking your medication. Maybe you're out in the environment. Maybe you're you know, making sure that you're getting the right amount of sleep or you're doing your other hobbies, you're doing some art, you're doing some baking, whatever it is, it's different for everybody. Now, even though I am on top of it for the most part, I still have my meltdowns from time to time, usually in my car in the middle of the day, um, which again, if you've been following my Instagram, you will have seen the stories. Why in my car? No idea. I don't know. It's just like a safe space. Like I just get in and I can just cry there. I don't know. It just happens. So, you know, I've also learnt with time that I can't always trust my brain and I can't trust what my brain is telling me. And, you know, I explain it to people in that I feel as though I have two brains and I have my regular brain and she's great. She's super kind. She loves me. She's a hype girl. And then I have my depression, depresso brain. And that brain, it tries to trick me. It tries to lead me down a dark, you know, shady looking pathway that I shouldn't be going. And I know that I shouldn't be going down there, but sometimes it's just that little, you know, it's intriguing to listen to what that, you know, depression brain is telling me. And so, you know, if I'm feeling a bit down and, you know, I can, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, you know, you're so alone. Like no one likes spending time with you and you're lonely and I start to recognise that and I will actually say to myself, that's the other brain. That's the other brain that's saying that. Don't listen to her. She's not your friend. (laughs) Don't listen to her. And that has actually really helped me um, navigate my own depression. And I've, you know, talked to other people and, and they have experienced similar things and I think that's a really important thing to share is to Remember that you can't always trust your brain. Mind blown. (laughs) Now, I'm super comfortable, obviously, talking about all this, my story, and I know a lot of people aren't. You know, when I was back in Indonesia, I felt, um, sorry, not when I was back in Indonesia, when I came back from Indonesia, I felt really lost and, you know, I was grieving for this life that I'd lost. I'd I'd left everything behind. I had left a house full of my things. I'd left a cat. I'd left my friends. I'd left a relationship. I'd left my identity. Like, because for me, my identity was being this scuba diving instructor living in a paradise island in Indonesia. And that was all gone. And this had a huge effect on me when I came back in 2020. 
And it took me a long time to recover from that. It was not an easy process. But now, sitting where I am here in my kitchen, (laughs) recording this podcast, I look back and I see this as a blessing. You know, I didn't choose to come back, but I truly, truly feel like this happened to allow me to come back to this path that was always intended for me. I've never felt more authentically myself than I do right now here at this point of my life. And I want to share my story and keep sharing my story knowing that if it helps just one, just one other person, that all of this was worth it. And that is is my honest truth. So (laughs) mental health. I have a couple of facts that I'm going to throw in here just because they are a little bit, you know, they can take you back because people don't talk about them so much. So one in five, one in five Australians aged between 16 and 85 will experience a mental illness in any year. One in five. Think about how many people are in your family. Think about how many people uh, go to your gym. How many people do you work with? Five? 10, 15. Now, the most common uh, mental illnesses are depressive type, anxiety, and uh, substance use disorder. And 54% of people with mental illnesses do not access any treatment. That's over half. Over half of people who are dealing with mental illness are not receiving any treatment, which is sad because I just know how much it can help. (laughs) Even worse to top this off is every day, every single day in Australia, at least six people die by suicide. At least six. On top of that, a further 30 attempt to take their own life. So this is, these are big numbers. This is a lot of people that are affected by mental health and I don't feel like there's enough being done. I can't change the world, but I'm going to do what I can to help people feel like they're less alone in their journey. So what can you expect going forward from here? Well, that is a great question. (laughs) And I'm honestly, I'm not 100% sure just yet. I'm going to be having guests on. I'm going to be talking about all things mental health. I'm following this path with the belief, honestly, that I'm being guided in the right direction and it's going to grow with time. I want to be able to share more of me, what has and hasn't worked for me, facts around mental health, and if nothing else, simply dialogue. I just want to be talking about mental health. The more we talk about it, the less stigma there is. The less stigma there is, the more people will get help. The more people will reach out to their family and friends and get help. So I want to talk around mental health. I want to normalise it. Together, we can all reduce the stigma that stops people from seeking help and stop people feeling guilty Stop people feeling ashamed of something that they shouldn't. 
taking care of your mental health is no different than taking care of your physical health. And there is no shame in that. If you're striving to be better in either sense, then that is, you know, you should be getting a pat on the back. (laughs) So like I said, I do want to be having guests on. So please feel free to reach out to me if that's something that you think you might be interested in. I really want to create a, a safe space for people to share their own journey because I know and I understand the power that there is in in telling your own story. I, you know, it, the power it can have for that person in owning their own story is massive and the power that it can have in the person that's listening and resonating with that story is next level so yeah again this is all for that one person maybe you're for that maybe you're that one person today and if you are I'm so glad that you're here and I'm so glad that you're listening and I'm sorry for what you're going through so I think that just about wraps up this episode I hope I haven't rambled too much I'm gonna have to listen back and check when I edit it once I learn how to edit it (laughs) so thank you so much so so much for joining me today I can't I honestly can't believe I'm here and I'm so so proud of myself proud of myself for doing this thank you so much to the instrumental people that have been cheering me on lighting a fire underneath me and encouraging me to get here. I can't wait to see where this path takes me and where it takes us. So please reach out to your family and friends, check on them, ask them how they're doing. Please, please, please take kindness out with you into the world today. You never, ever know who needs it. Again, Thank you so much and I will see you next time. Doey! If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me at lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, at hightidelowtideau.com or DM me on Instagram at hightidelowtideau. See you next time.